0: you tuned in to The Kojo Namdi Show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. Later in the broadcast, we'll be joined by PBS NewsHour's Judy Woodruff. But first, after a nearly 90-year search, researchers have unearthed the founding site of the Maryland colony called St. Mary's Fort. This almost 400-year-old fort is about the size of a football field and was home to English colonists who arrived to Maryland in the 17th century. To dig deeper into this historic site and what it means for our region, I am joined by Travis Parno, lead archaeologist on the St. Mary's Fort excavation. He's also the director of research and collections at the historic St. Mary's City. Travis Parno, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me this morning.
0: Also with us is Regina Fodden, Executive Director of the Historic St. Mary's City, a museum located on Maryland's western shore. Regina Fodden, thank you for joining us.
2: Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure.
0: Travis Parna, what do listeners who are just now hearing about this discovery need to know about St. Mary's Fort? Why is this historic site so important?
1: Well, I mean... The Maryland Colony was was really the fourth colony that was successfully established in North America, and by that I mean it was it was one that that was chartered, it was uh, sort of an official colony, and it lasted. You know, there are a number of colonies like the Roanoke Colony uh, in, and the Popham Colony that that sort of started and stuttered and failed, um, but we're really the the sort of fourth major uh, entrepôt that became a, a colonial capital uh, here in Maryland after Jamestown. Uh, uh, Plymouth Colony, Massachusetts Bay Colony. And so to find that where the colony began, this site where where uh, it all sort of started, uh, the, the relationships that were forged between the, the colonists who came and the, the native peoples who were here, uh, all of that stage was really set at St. Mary's Fort. And for the longest time, that site had been had been lost uh, to to archaeology and to history. And so to finally have the opportunity to investigate this site and to really peer into that earliest point in, in our, our state's colonial past and see what it means for our life today is, is really just an unprecedented opportunity.
0: Well, St. Mary's was once Maryland's capital. Can you talk
1: about that history, when it was founded, and how... Long it lasted. Sure. Yeah. Uh, St. Mary's City was founded in in March of 1634 uh, when a, about 150 colonists came over from England, uh, arrived on the shores of what would be called the St. Mary's River, and uh, negotiated with the the Icomico, the people who were living in the area at the time, for the right to settle. And this was the place where the the colonists who were led by Maryland's first governor, uh, Leonard Calvert. Uh, established the Maryland colony this was going to to serve as the capital of the colony for a number of years and the colony survived a number of of rebellions um, it was a, a place that was, was intended by the Calvert family to be a place of religious freedom for uh, Christian worshipers, particularly for Catholics um, who who could not openly worship in England at the time. And that, that idea of religious freedom that, that permeates into our own constitution today uh, caused a lot of problems in the 17th century. So there were a number of, of attempted overthrows of the government. And finally in, in the mid 1690s after the colony had been taken over from the Calvert family by, uh, by the, the, the British royalty, uh, the, capital, it was, the decision was made to move the capital from St. Mary's City up to uh, what is today Annapolis. So St. Mary's City was, was a, a, an important place in our state's history, critical to its beginnings, but was really only present as a capital for about 60 years.
0: Regina Fodden, you oversee historic St. Mary's City, which is described as an outdoor museum of history and archaeology. Can you tell us more about the museum?
2: Yes, uh, the museum was established by the Historic St. Mary's City Commission. uh, That's a state agency of Maryland in 1984. Uh, The commission had been established in the 1960s, but it took a number of years to do enough archaeology to find out about the first city because we really knew very, very little about it until we could open a museum to begin to interpret academic findings like what Travis does into a, a public history program. So today we have 40 acres of outdoor exhibits. It's a great place during the pandemic to come outside, enjoy um, walking around with your family and friends, and to learn about this very intriguing history that we have here. So we have a reproduction or representation of a 17th century sailing ship called the Maryland Dove. Uh, People can learn about immigration, trade, uh, and uh, they said in the town center, that's what we call it. And it's all on the actual site. So unlike Plymouth and some other historic sites, this is all exactly on the place where these things were built. And so you'll see reconstructions of 17th century buildings. You'll see a a unique Baroque city plan down here. So what's intriguing to me being from New England, where the state and the church were the same in Maryland, the state house is on the opposite side of the city from the church, the Catholic chapel that's here. And that really uh, puts that idea of religious separ- you know, separation of church and state into the architecture of the city. So people can, they uh, said, see the Catholic chapel where Philip Calvert, the youngest son of Lord Baltimore, is buried in a lead coffin. I said he's not in the coffin at the moment, but they can see an exhibit of that space. They can go to a 17th century plantation uh, to t- where we talk about tobacco in the first per- person, and then um, also, said, so we have a, what we call Woodland Indian Hamlet. And the woodland refers to the period of contact with the Native people um, and the Europeans. And so people can spend a full day outdoors, I said, enjoying the entire site, walking a path. We have three and a half miles of trails, So it's a really rich experience in the beauty of Southern Maryland, if you haven't been down here, and then about great history. And always, we have the comment from our visitors, great interpreters, great people to engage with when they come on site.
0: What was known about the fort uh, and settlement before the site was discovered? Same question to you, Regina. I'm sorry? What was known about the fort before the site was discovered?
2: Well, there had been some research done, as you mentioned, that was 90 years in the making. There was an archaeologist who came down um, decades ago who was looking for the fort. Uh, He also investigated the um, Jamestown site. But it wasn't, again, until the commission was formed in the 60s and really the early 70s that some of our archaeologists began looking for it. So Dr. Henry Chanley Foreman, who was the original archaeologist, came down. He had an idea that made some sense that the fort would have been looking over the, the St. Mary's River because it would give you a strategic advantage uh, as far as defense. Uh, then there was another idea, like I said, where we ended up finding the fort, which was on um, farther back from the river. And Travis can talk more about the description of the fort and why he began to look there. We had some documentary evidence, but it really wasn't until we got a grant from the um, Trust, Maryland Historical Trust to do geophysical research so that you didn't have to dig everywhere to, to find out what was in the ground to really get a good idea of what we were looking at. And Travis oversaw that investigation, which looked at both sites, which we only did a couple years ago, and then he had to go out and make sure – that we really knew what we were talking about. So he had to go out and do some excavation to ground truth that. So it has been a long time in the making, and we finally put all the clues together, which is what historical archaeologists do to finally find this this, uh, substantial feature in the ground.
0: Travis, as Regina pointed out, archaeologists have been looking for this site for decades. Why and how had the exact location been lost to historians and archaeologists for so long?
1: Well, for one thing, the, the fort was only used for a very short period of time. Um, when the colonists arrived in 1634, the, they set about constructing a, a palisaded enclosure, you know, palisade being. Uh, you know, basically timbers that have been stripped of their their branches and then stacked, sort of side by side in the ground, to create a ten to fourteen foot tall wooden barrier, sort of basic rudimentary defensive measure. And the the palisade was constructed and designed to hold, you know, the the colonists who arrived on the Ark and the Dove uh, in 1634. But uh, it, it didn't take too long—about six to seven, uh, outwards of eight years—for the colonists to begin moving outside of the fort and settling along waterways, uh, where where they could establish tobacco plantations and and have a larger amount of land. And so the the fort wasn't used for very long, and that's a it's a period of our. our states and and the Maryland colonies history that isn't very well documented historically. Um, So the the documentary record that we had wasn't extremely descriptive about where the the fort was located. We had a, a single letter that was dated May 30th, 1634- written by Maryland's first governor, that actually described where the colonists built their fort. He talks about how they walked half a mile inland, and there they constructed their fort. And he described it as 120 yards square with four flanks, which we tend to (laughs) interpret as meaning four bastions on the corners of this fort, Mm -hmm. sort of a circular outwork. Um, So it was a large enclosure that he was describing, about half a mile inland from the river, and and so it was. That was the key. Was was where along the river? Is it is it right up against the river, like Dr. Henry Chanley Foreman mentioned, like Regina said? Because if you have a fort and you have a bunch of cannon mounted in it, which Calvert described in his letter, what are those cannon intended to do? Are they are they trying to shoot at ships that are coming up the river uh, in order to to prevent an enemy from arriving by ship, or are they intended to be used overland? If you're more worried about um, uh, whether it's, it's Virginian troops or uh, other colonies or potentially native groups who uh, you haven't established diplomatic ties with attacking overland. And so for a long time, there were these two kind of competing theories about where would the fort have been situated. And so like, uh, like Regina said, it, it really took this sort of development of technology to sort of catch up and, and so that we could use more scientific instrumentation to look at large areas without having to excavate them.
0: Travis, you led the site dig after so much effort. What did unearthing this fort mean for you on a personal level?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's it feels like a... A sigh of relief and also uh, a big beginning. Um, this is a, it's a huge site, really, just a a, a very large site. Archaeologists are, are are very careful, meticulous people. Sometimes we get criticized for working too slowly. Um, you know, we we like to be really careful and intricate about all of the work that we do because once we excavate an area, there's no putting it back the way that it originally was, and so we try to be extremely careful as we are uh, excavating into the soil, and so. We have a site that uh, is, again, about the size of a, a football field, and could we could easily spend 10, 15, 20 years excavating this site. So it's a, a, a massive discovery and something that's so exciting for us, uh, but also represents the beginning of, of what's going to be a really long-term investigation into this wonderful site. I'm Kojo Namdi.
0: This month at WAMU, we're lifting our voices to shine a light on black changemakers throughout American history. Some you know and some you don't, but they all change the world. Go to wamu.org lifteveryvoice lift every voice to learn the stories of these incredible African American changemakers and to hear special interviews spotlighting those who have impacted the arts, sciences, sports, and activism. Go to WAMU.org slash Lift Every Voice. Welcome back. We're digging into Maryland's past with Travis Parno, lead archaeologist on the St. Mary's Fort excavation and director of research and collections at the Historic St. Mary's City. Regina Faden is the executive director of the Historic St. Mary's City, a museum located on Maryland's western shore. Regina, you've been the director of the Historic St. Mary's City, as we said, an outdoor museum of history and archaeology for more than 10 years. What does this discovery mean to you?
2: Well, uh, it I, I actually am not a historian by early training. I, I studied literature, and I love the stories of people and understanding different perspectives, and that's really something that this forward is going to be able us to, to talk about our shared history, and, and I mean the story of us. And as a museum director, when I say the story of us, I mean all of the people who were here and uh, the Native people, the African-Americans, we didn't even mention Matthias D'Souza yet. That's a fascinating story of a man of African descent who comes here as an indentured servant, uh, earns his freedom, and then participates in the legislature in the 17th century. And uh, also, of course, about the English colonists. It's so much about who we are as Americans, all of the, the conflicts, the difficulties, the ways of finding ourselves, moving forward together um civil rights all these things that are are part of our lives today are are represented in the fort and the moments that where people first came together and I think it's just a powerful thing like we all travel or many of us travel to go see those places where important things happen and it's right here at St Mary City where you can stand and look at the places where people were building their lives and constructing a new society with these three old cultures cultures that came together the european the african and the the native american i think it's just an extraordinary opportunity for storytelling and i mean based in history but ways that we can connect to each other by telling our own personal histories and connecting them to what we learn about the past
0: indeed travis Of course, as Regina just pointed out, our region's history goes far back beyond the colonial time period. Can you tell us a little more about the native peoples that lived in Maryland before then? How is the museum working to ensure their stories are represented too? And Tia in Alexandria emails, it took a while for racialized chattel slavery to evolve in the colonies. Does the new work at the St. Mary's Fort and Settlement shed light on labor practices and slavery, Travis Parna?
1: Absolutely. These are, are wonderful questions and, and very very complicated questions that we have to get into. Um, and, and you're absolutely right that, that Native people were present in this region for millennia prior to the arrival of European colonists. You know, We have artifacts that have been excavated at historic St. Mary's City over the last 50 years uh, that date back ten to 12,000 years ago. And we know that Native people were present in the region even a, a couple thousand years at least before that. And so there's there's this deep history of, of use of space and of occupation of relationship to the environment and relationship to the land. And and that's something that is, is so critical for us to to really work into this story in, in a way that perhaps we haven't in the past. And and the saint mary's fort site represents you know we, we talk about it as the founding site of the maryland colony but it's also a moment of of interruption of of insertion where the this where colonialism and everything that goes with colonialism of of economic exploitation of uh, of differences of of diplomatic ties and breakages of treaties and and broken treaties all of that comes into play at at saint mary's fort and so we knew that we couldn't just look at this site as a, a colonial site; that we needed to sort of step backwards and look at um, other areas of our site to work into this story. And so, what we've done is is we're, we're actually working in two other adjacent archaeological sites that are present. Um, you're not. Uh, a 1,000 feet away from the site of St. Mary's Fort. Uh, one of these sites we know dates at least 500 to 2,000 years old, uh, and another site nearby dates at least 3 to 5,000 years old. And so what we've decided to do is, is look at all three of these sites uh, under the same project umbrella, what we're calling the People to People Project. And this work will be done in conjunction and collaboration with members of the Piscataway Kanhoye Tribe, the Piscataway Indian Nation, uh, whose whose ancestors, the Piscataway, uh, are, are really were one of the most powerful entities in this region at the time the colonists arrived. And so the Piscataway were what we call the paramount chiefdom. They were sort of governed over much of, of what is today Maryland's western shore. And so by working together with our Piscataway friends and colleagues to conduct our excavations and really design public interpretation like we do at our museum with um, educational programs, reconstruct. Uh, historical features and uh, signage and and artistic programs. All of this is going to be done as a collaborative effort because we're not the keepers of history. You know, we may be uh, certainly some as historians and archaeologists. We play a role, but uh, our community are really the the keepers of history, and we want to work together and pull all of those stories out to celebrate everyone's past. But to get yeah. to the, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, To get to the the question about uh, chattel slavery, I think is a really great one, because Regina shared the story of Matthias D'Souza, which is so important for us as a, a person of African descent participating in colonial governance. But his story is, I think, made even more powerful when we think about the fact that members of the Calvert family and other wealthy colonial planters at this time were working hard in the 1630s, uh, 1640s, the earliest years of the the colony, to import enslaved Africans into the colony. They were coordinating with uh, the Virginia colony, with other contacts back in Europe, to try and introduce chattel slavery into the colony. And in 1664, uh, the Maryland colonial government passes sort of what we consider to be the first uh, sort of codified race-based chattel slavery laws that are passed in English North America. These are based largely on chattel slavery laws that were passed in 1661 in Barbados. And so, while we have these stories that we can celebrate with D'Souza and and so many uh, stories of of strength and and um, sort of unique accomplishments. We also have the fact that the 17th century is really the crucible in which so many of the the social issues that we we wrestle with and we tend to associate with the 18th century, like large-scale plantation chattel slavery, had their roots in the earliest phases of the 17th century.
0: Here now is Butch in Bowie, Maryland. Butch, you're on the air. Go ahead,
1: please. Hi. Um, very interesting subject. I appreciate it, Kojo. Um, quickly. Um, how far is it from?
2: How far is the site from uh, Millpoint Shores or Longview Beach? Longview was where it, a Black um, African settlement, private beach area. So,
0: um, can you answer that, Regina Faden?
2: Sure. Uh, I'm I'm not that familiar with Long Beach, but I can say we are about uh, a. F- six 90-minute drive from Washington, D.C. Uh, we are down, like I said, in the, nearly to the southern end of the peninsula, the St. Mary's um, County Peninsula, as I said. And if anyone's familiar with Point Lookout, which is a uh, state park, we're about 15 miles from there. It's about an hour and a half to Edgewater and then about two hours to central uh, Annapolis City. So I think that's the best I can, I can describe right now. But I said it's, uh, it's, a good, it's a good hike down, but I said it's a beautiful drive also.
0: And Jim in Washington emails, did King William push out the Calverts because they were Catholics? As kids in Montgomery County schools, St. Mary's history was part of the curriculum, but they were elusive on that point. Can you help us with that, uh, either Travis or Regina?
2: Travis, why don't you take that?
1: Sure, yeah. It was, it was a time where there had been enough conflict between the Protestants and, uh, and, and, the, and the Catholic proprietors that it was deemed that for the sort of the, the good of the colony, uh, that there, there needed to be a, a royal takeover, essentially. Prior to this, again, the, the Calvert family owned the colony as a family, which is sort of a unique situation. And eventually the crown came in and said, you know, we're, we're, let us handle this.
0: All right. We're almost out of time. Regina, you had planned to announce the discovery of St. Mary's Fort last year, but decided to postpone. Why is that?
2: Well, uh, COVID <laughs> in, the, in, in, the, <laughs> uh, in a short story. But um, what we would typically do is have you know people come down. They'd be able to tour the site. We would have a big celebration. Um, you it, we did do an online Maryland, virtual, uh, day, Maryland Day virtual celebration, and the, the governor participated, the lieutenant governor, all the leadership in uh, the state. And also we had federal leaders who are leading the effort to declare Southern Maryland a national heritage area based on religious freedom. So, but we couldn't gather people together. We couldn't do what we normally do, and we're still sort of waiting to get together. So, uh, I said, But it gave us a chance to think more deeply about how we were okay. going to approach the project. And so it all worked out well. in the end.
0: Well, now locals can visit the actual Fort Dix site, and I'm sorry we can't tell you more about that. Um, but Travis Parno and Regina Fadden, thank you both for joining us. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be joined by PBS NewsHour's Judy Woodruff. I'm Coach Onandi. For listening to the Kojo Nnamdi Show, and if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at wamu.org. Just click the donate button, and thanks.